0: soon.
1: just passed through you and every hair you had went on end and your goosebumps went wild.
0: I want to mention this only because I've been sitting here dreading the start of this thing because we're going to talk about something that I really don't want to talk about but I know that we need to talk about it and it's one of those things that ultimately will be great but I'm dragging my heels and when we were choosing a song for right now I was saying oh Elastic Heart you know play that it's it doesn't quite resonate with me as much. My body would beg to differ. "Elastic Heart" by Sia clearly resonates with me because it just gave me goosebumps. Yeah, and things that give me goosebumps, despite <laughs> my best efforts, means that I am being affected and I am being moved. So it was a brilliant choice, Susan.
1: <laughs> so I think just because we haven't gotten there yet, oh. um, this is two-track mind. Hello. Welcome back. I'm Susan. I'm Emily. We are both PhD psychology students. I'm in positive psychology. Emily is in social psychology. Mostly what we do here is we try to think about some sort of topic that makes us kind of uncomfortable and also that we think that is beneficial to hear people talk about. We think there's a lot of benefit in talking about sort of these, you know, unspoken topics in human behavior. So we we take a sprinkling of our research, but usually we just kind of, you know, shoot in the shit with each other.
0: And remarkably... Despite the fact that these topics are often not discussed just throughout the course of our daily life, these are things that Susan and I talk about all the time.
1: Yeah. All the time. And we realize (laughs)
0: that's not always the case. Right. Maybe we should (laughs) elevate this to um, a broader discourse.
1: Right. Exactly. With that, can I kind of launch in? Can we just, can we get this party started?
0: I'm probably going to get all hairy again, but yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay, so I know today um, you and I wanted to talk about something that's really personal to both of us. So I was uh, trying to think, so for me I was trying to think about why I wanted to talk about this. Because I think it's really important for both of us, right? And I know you're going to talk about why you wanted to talk about this too. But I think the bottom line is, is, is kind of what we were just saying. I don't know how often people do talk. I don't know how often people get into the nitty gritty details of the things that disrupt what we kind of think of as the normal life path, which I think for a lot of people is this picture of like a mom and a dad and two kids in the suburbs, but I think that's maybe a very outdated picture of normal. I think that normal normal now includes disruption. Like I think we all have disruptions in our life, whether it's that your mom was an alcoholic or maybe you know, uh, you had a parent die, or you were one of the lucky 16 and pregnant teen moms that MTV follows <laughs> around. Are they winning a prize? <laughs> or, or they get a prize. The prize is that millions of people watch them, which is a terrible prize. But I also think MTV pays for their diapers or something. I think they get, I mean, I'm pretty sure that gets it seems they get something out there. Yeah. Anyway, the point is... One thing that we learned early in our friendship is that the, the one of the things that has been a big obstacle or maybe big life disruptance for both of us uh, is eating disorders. I think that this is something we discovered early on and we got into a lot of big discussions about. I actually think it might have been one of the things that cracked both of us open really early to being that vulnerable with each other. Although at the same time, we're both just the type of person who love this stuff. But anyway, um, for you, this was a directly personal experience, but I'm going to let you talk about that yourself later. For me, this was a slightly more indirect experience. My uh, brother started to get sick when I was around 10 and was finally diagnosed with anorexia nervosa um, when, he, when I was 12. So again, for you, this kind of leads to a lot of uh, personal experiences with running from your emotions and fighting for control. And for me, it's a lot about how this came to affect me, my family, um, and indirectly, how I came to realize a lot about myself. That's why I wanted to talk about it today, (laughs) because I think that I don't, I just don't know how often people do.
0: Meeting you was such a delight for me, because other than healthcare professionals um, and my mom, I had never really met anyone that I could talk about this stuff with, especially someone who got it. So it was just such an amazing experience being able to talk to you about this, but in a way that also made it very clear to me that you understood exactly how I was feeling feeling and exactly what this experience is like. Even other girls or women that I've met over the course of my life and guys with eating disorder experience, that is a magical connection. And for some reason, I, I felt it with you. Which just goes to show how powerful this thing is. You don't actually need to have one yourself to really understand how this affects people. Yeah. So So let's get into your story.
1: <laughs> yeah, which is one thing we want to tell you about today. Today we're really gonna get into both Emily and I's story. We kinda of think there's a lot of value in sticking with one path today. So I'm gonna Emily's gonna kinda of interview me and throw whatever questions naturally come up to her as I as we talk, and then I'm gonna do the same to her. Uh, just just so you guys know our format's a little different today. Can I
0: be Kelly Rippa?
1: Yes. I don't know where this is going. <laughs> but yes. I would love you to Kelly Rippa me. Oh.
0: <laughs> I was just gonna ask you what your interviewer oh. alter ego is. Oh. And you had said Katie Couric, which I was very flattered, but I think I choose Katie um Kelly, Kelly Rippa.
1: Yeah, I respect that choice. I think it's a really good choice. If anything, I'm jealous of it immediately. Probably I more like Jimmy are. Fallon.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're exactly you are agreed with that way too quickly. quickly
1: <laughs> you, um, you agreed with that way too quickly. Also, the sad
0: part about all of this is that Katie Couric is a, a renowned interviewer and, and, and journalist and news reporter of sorts. Right. I don't think Kelly Rippa is. I just know she <laughs> asks people questions and looks super hot doing it. So
1: yeah, she's, that's why I choose her. She definitely does. The way that we're going to do this is that I'm going to, in five minutes or less, give you my backstory. Uh, and when those five minutes are up, avid listeners, then we're going to switch into uh, Emily having a, I said Kelly, I was about to call you Kelly. Kelly having a chance to rip up me.
0: So Susan, we are starting with you, okay? Very brave. <laughs> I know that today we're going to be talking a lot about where we are presently in the future and the directions we're moving in, given our experience with eating disorders, but right now, in five minutes or less, <laughs> I want you to tell us your story and your experience
1: with eating disorders. This feels like a challenge. I feel like I should have prepped for this. Um, okay, uh, but we didn't. <laughs> we no. didn't, listeners. We did not prep for this. Okay, five minutes or less. I've already lost eleven seconds laughing. So, <laughs> so around when I was about ten years old, um, my my brother my brother had been very very slightly chubby as like a middle schooler. It really wasn't a big thing, but it was enough that he had a lot of experiences where he got picked on. Um, I know in basketball, like there was like, I don't know, he he had, a, he had a few experiences. Our doctor was an idiot our pediatrician and like mentioned something to this 11 year old boy about, you got a little bit of that like 11 year old boy pudge, you're going to want to exercise that out. And just all these things Anyway, there's a lot of reasons for why this happened. But in high school, my brother Jesse started getting really into fitness and started really working out a lot. And he, like, really was, like, determined to get into shape. And it all seemed pretty normal, like a normal trajectory. Like, oh, you're just getting in shape. Okay, that's fine. Oh, you've decided you're really into being the strongest and getting really into martial arts and doing all these things. Okay, that's cool. So that felt fine. And then when he went to college his first year, so his freshman year of college, it was, like, every time he came home it was a little bit more devastating. Like every time he came home, the muscles that he had built seemed to have clearly atrophied and he was just skinnier and skinnier. I remember looking at his hands and like, like number one, they were always cold. So it's like when I would hold him, they'd be really cold and um, and they just looked kind of skeletal. So uh, long story short, that first year, my parents really fought with him to you know, kind of notice he had a problem. And it wasn't until he, he ended up he was having some you know, other cut of struggles as well, so he ended up coming closer to home, switching schools for the beginning of his sophomore year, but he just was going even further and further downhill quickly. And when he transferred, although he was closer to home, he was nose diving my parents basically like my mom basically gave him an ultimatum which was like if if you go to the doctor we will like go to the doctor or we're going to keep harassing you every day all the time so my brother was like okay if i go to the doctor the doctor tells me that you guys are crazy because he didn't think he had a problem he thought he was fine uh if i go to the doctor will you guys get off my back yes we'll get off your back great so jesse went to the doctor my brother other elder brother tom went with him and he went in happened to be this like on-call doctor who didn't really know what they were doing the main doctor wasn't there they took one look at him and did what's called section 12ing so they section 12ed him which means that I they I know that Yeah. which like basically meant like you know that they didn't think that he was capable like he was a harm to himself he wasn't capable of making his own decisions and they were going to immediately take all of his like autonomy and power away and tell him what to do and my brother's like a really agreeable person he's also really sensitive they were basically just like you will do everything we say right now or you're going to die. Like, you're so skinny, you're going to die if you don't do everything exactly as we say it right now. And he was like, okay, okay, I'll do whatever you say, whatever you guys want. Obviously, my parents were right, right? They threw him in an ambulance. They wouldn't even let him walk anywhere. They, they, I think they might have wheelchaired him to the ambulance, or this, right? They threw him in an ambulance. My brother Tom said, oh my god, okay, this is crazy. None of us expected it to be this serious when he went in. Um, can I ride in the, you know, ambulance with him? No, you may not. You may not ride in the ambulance with him. He has to go by himself, and we're gonna, like, strap him to this gurney and, like, whatever. I'm probably getting some of these details wrong. Jesse will, I'm sure, scream throughout the show notes when he hears this. Uh, throw him there... He goes to this hospital, like, horrific story, like, they lock him in a room, he has an exercise bike and a jar of peanut butter, it's crazy, nobody lets him out. My dad has to scream lawyer all the way in to get him out almost 24 hours later, and this just crushed him. If you're going to have an issue, then to add this very traumatic experience to it makes it so, so, so much worse. And I only have a minute left, (laughs) because apparently I'm really bad at telling stories short, the the follow-up to this is, you know, seven years later. So he was diagnosed when I was 12, anorexia nervosa, and it wasn't until, for me, um, until I was 19 that he really started to come back from it. So he was in and out of the hospital every other day. Well, not every other day, but every other month, I feel like we had a call home that was like, so his liver is cannibalizing again. Like, looks like his body's eating itself again. Um, I remember visiting him in psych wards, and they would be like, oh, um, you can't give that balloon to your brother because he might strangle himself. So, like, oh, no, you can't bring that game of Monopoly, little girl, because, like, he might try to kill himself with a little iron piece. It shaped a lot of my adolescence. It shaped a lot of my middle school, high school years, and then early college years. And it was right around late college that um, he started to turn back around a little bit and uh, that's also when my parents had this huge trial against the doctor that had kind of screwed all this stuff up initially so we had this whole trial thing going on and that's my backstory
0: holy crap
1: (laughs) (laughs) i feel kind of proud but like i missed a lot
0: (laughs) well that's horrifying for your brother yeah i guess where i want to take this is you're the sibling of you were the baby sister of Jessie, mm-hmm. and you still are,
1: <laughs> who has day. an eating disorder, Yeah.
0: what has that meant for your life in terms of <laughs> what effect do you think it's had on you, and you can talk about that in terms of a more immediate effect, or maybe during adolescence and college and, and now, because we know that the thing about eating disorders is it doesn't just affect one person. It affects the whole system. So you've gone through your own experience with this and have been affected. However you want to take that question. Go
1: ahead. You know, the biggest thing that it changed for me, I guess from a selfish point of view, right? Like which, which I think may be the point right now, um, is that my parents were obviously in overdrive, right? So one thing was that I think in a healthy way, like I also was kind of a chubby middle schooler. Like I think it runs in our family. So, Family members who are under the age of 15, if you're listening to this, it's normal to, in our family for you to get a little chubby in middle school. You usually even out later. Don't worry about it. You know, I was too, and I think I started healthily wanting to explore what's nutrition and what's exercise and, like, can I go for a run and maybe I shouldn't eat this sugar. I didn't really understand those systems at that time, but I was at the place of wanting to explore with them. Um, And I also had a lot of input coming in because my brother, uh, as I'm sure you're familiar with, had a lot to say about things like nutrition. and He was always kind of like saying things offhandedly about calories or this or that or how much you should eat of this or how much fat you should have. And so a lot of that information was in my brain. And I think at the normal time when I was trying to go from like chubby middle schooler to like normal human being who understood nutrition and exercise, my parents were kind of breathing down my neck. So if I said... If we were having chicken nuggets and and we and I usually ate six, but suddenly I said, "You know what four is good enough. Four is exactly how much I want, and I'm gonna eat a little bit more of the salad and like that's what I'm gonna eat for dinner tonight. They would look like I had just punched them in the face right like they would look at me like i like I was about to jump off a cliff and 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 then not only that, but they'd look at me like kind of like how could you do this like we already have one child who's in and out of the hospital almost every other month coming home going back coming home going back we can't also have you die too we can't have you do this same thing to us exactly um and you know obviously in a backstory having a kid almost die for 10 years like my parents marriage was all over the place and um and their kind of up and down was all over the place, and both of them were were struggling in their own private ways what, you know while trying to raise another small child and having an older son too, and kind of all this I, I really feel for them in that yeah um, but yeah, so I think one thing that it really added to me was just i didn 't i didn 't i wasn 't able to have that healthy i think experimentation or healthy like growth period, so It created a lot of, I think, disordered eating in me, which I probably would have had anyway, like, had Jesse not gone first with this eating disorder thing. Eating disorders run in our family. There's also a lot of anxiety, depression. Like, I think we're all kind of on the spectrum, I would say, eating disorder-wise. Maybe it's also because my nanny, God bless her heart, who I love to the ends of the earth, (laughs) will never let there be any mistake here was, like, a little focused on weight. Like, there always be a little bit of, like, oh, like... Like, she was both ways, though. If you hadn't eaten dinner by 5.01, and dinner should be at 5 p.m., she'd be like, why haven't you eaten yet? <laughs> like, where's your food? Eat already. Did they not have food? Let's go get them food. It's 5.02 now. Like, time is, like, getting away from us. Um, but on the other hand, like, ha- if you put on a freshman 5 uh, in college and came back, her response was like, oh, hmm, do they have gyms over there, or...? uh interesting you you've been getting out for some walks like i hear walking is really good for you <laughs> and, like in this kind of like passive aggressive way and as her grandchild i can only imagine i was able to
0: your grandma grandma i thought grandma, you, s- grandma I thought you said nanny. nanny oh i like... did
1: but i don't mean like we didn't okay. have like a nanny we weren't rich but like
0: <laughs> <laughs> i was like i never knew you had a nanny <laughs> no we didn't that's have a nanny. cool um, Your no. grandma. You yeah, my it. grandma.
1: Sorry, we call her nanny or nana. So yeah. it's like nanny and grumpy, basically. Or, or <laughs> the, the grump. <laughs> nanny and the grump. And I loved her. So yeah, so sorry, this is my grandmother. So my grandmother had these tendencies, which I know filtered down to all of her ten children, which is eight girls in the middle and two boys. And, and I think we know that this can be girls and boys, but girls tend to be pretty susceptible um, to this even more. And then they passed it down to all of us. So... But anyway, I think all that to say, it it became something in me. It became that I knew that I couldn't... I could experiment with eating too much, um, because if my parents handed me food, it was like, eat this right now. And and it developed a very big habit of, like, if they baked something for me, which was their way of showing love, me eating it was my way of giving that love back and assuring them that, like, I was okay, I was normal, everything was going to be okay. Right. So I learned to eat when I wasn't hungry, I learned to eat to make other people happy and as a people pleaser that's a huge thing, like I, I definitely learned that habit, and I learned to, to be scared of exercise, I learned that exercise was a terrifying thing. And I shouldn't do it. Um, I shouldn't do it unless there was a good reason, which is the only reason I think I went to like a normal, healthy weight in, in high school is because I joined a bunch of sports teams. And so under the, you know, under the umbrella of sports, my parents were like, oh, yes, that is normal. You may go to practice for two hours. And then, yes, the coach told you to do this one mile run. Like, yes, go do that one mile run. Um, but if I was ever like, you know, what? I think I'm going to go two miles today. I'm just in the mood. Like their faces would be like, why? Why? Why, 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 why? are you going to go two miles? Like, you don't need to do two miles. Why are you going more? Is there a reason? Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to talk about it? So, does that answer your
0: question? It does. And the, I guess the most unexpected and interesting piece of all that is yeah. you were not the one diagnosed with an eating disorder. Right. Yet, you went through a lot of the same things that I went through <laughs> as someone who was diagnosed with an eating disorder and then had to somehow reintroduce the concept of eating and exercise and all the things that make that are part of a normal and balanced life. Yeah. It is so hard to reintroduce those things. So I just feel for you because I know exactly what it's like to have everyone watching your every move. The next thing I want to ask you is during this kind of chapter of Jesse's life when he's having the eating disorder it clearly is going to have an impact on you, and you're yeah. going to feel for and worry about your brother. I cannot imagine what it is like to see someone that you love and care about so much do things that are, that look self-destructive. I cannot imagine what that is like. The experiences that I've had with it, it's it's all-consuming, and it's like... When you talk to a person with an eating disorder, sometimes it's like talking to a brick wall. Yeah. They're hearing you, but they're not, it's not sinking in. So what I'm interested in is how did, how were you able to still show love and support towards your brother and maintain a relationship with him while still having to also just accept that he was going to do this and he was going to be in this disease and there was nothing that you could do as his sister to solve it?
1: Yeah, it wasn't easy, especially because he was my idol. Like, it was, it was a very typical little sister, big brother, and he's six years older, right? So, like, it was a very typical, I just thought everything he did was the best. I thought everything he did was cool. I thought all of his friends were dreamy and wonderful and interesting. Like, I just, but that's also because my brother is awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, even today, like, I don't think that idol worship was, um you know, it was uncalled for. Cause he's just, I mean, you've met him. You think it's fantastic. I do. Um, he's just a really great person. And I think even at a younger age, that was true for us. And, um, and even though we hadn't quite gotten to the place where we were in the same age to be really friends, I think we always had a good rapport as kids. Cause you say like, Susan, you get it. And, and it was, I've. it's been, I haven't seen a lot of people who do that or a lot of people I can connect with on that. And that's really him. Like, because even though he was this disorder, even though he was, 90% anorexia and 10% Jesse, like, that 10% Jesse was always there. Like, I feel like I've seen other people with eating disorders and you, they're just gone. It's like yeah. it's like seeing someone with an addiction or somebody who's on pills or somebody who's, you know, drunk on the street. Like, they're, they're there, but they're not there. They're there, but they're gone. And and Jesse was always there. Like, I just felt like when I looked at him, he looked back. Even when he was at the most of his pain, and even when he was you know, struggling, I think at, at the utmost of that struggle. And I think that he really explained things to me, which helped. Like, if I asked him a direct question, he answered it. And I think he answered it with a lot of self-awareness and understanding of, of the process himself. I remember I think I told you this one time but one time I asked I was like well what's it like like I'm so frustrated because like why can't you just like you know what the right thing to do is and you're not doing it you want to do the right thing and you're not doing it like I get that your brain is malnourished and like it can't think straight but like how can you not get to the end of this thought and and he he was like okay I'm going to ask you some questions and I was like great that, that would be wonderful ask me some questions and he's like okay great and so he started to be things like what's your favorite color what do you like to do in school right just asking me basic questions but as I would start to answer them he hit me up the backside of the head with a book <laughs> like not hard but like lightly and he would hit me against the backside with a with book and he would do that about every three to five seconds and by the like you know and eventually I was like okay 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 I don't know what the lesson has been like I'm done being <laughs> but hit. <it> hurts. I'm <laughs> done being hit with a book and uh and, and this is like you know like when he was close to his worst and he and he looked at me and he's like that's what it feels like it feels like every three to five seconds you know like my brain is being redirected in another direction every three to five seconds I'm concentrating on you know the fact that you have a piece of pizza right next to you? And how many calories are in that? And I wonder if you're going to eat the whole thing. And then are your friends going to eat it? And like the sound your mouth is making as you chew and like put it down and like what you're going to do with that. And are you going to have milk too? And how many calories is that? Add? And what is that going to mean? Are you going to exercise later? Like I can't focus on what I know I need to, which is, you know, what is, which is myself. I'm focusing on so many external things. I can't, I can't get through a sentence. I can't get through a sentence in a day. Um, and that was a really powerful lesson for me. And and he did that type of thing consistently for me. He was able to break out enough of of the really terrible dark place he was in order to help me join him there yeah although he was also a really like i had like it like breaks my heart that he was also a really good big brother still like he because i remember like there was definitely times of suicidal ideation and times when he was really thinking seriously about dying and wanting to die and actively having all that and those were thoughts he hid for me like those are things i understand better now because as adults we talked about it right but when i was a kid like he i remember times when he was like susan like i'm really sorry but i need you to leave my room like a little alone time and those were I knew that he was having suicidal thoughts because I'd like hear my, you know, parents whispering. But I didn't know it from him because he would still try to protect me. So, uh, I don't know. So to answer your question, it was really hard, but he was always him. And I always loved him. And even at a young age, I always felt connected to him. But one thing I saw a lot of people do with him because they didn't know how to handle it, which is totally understandable. But one thing I saw a lot of my family members and like his friends, like, you know, and even people I would have said he would have felt close to, They looked at him as the disease. They looked at him as the boy with anorexia, right? That's how they looked at him. And all they could say is, why don't you eat? Like, they didn't have any real questions for him. And one thing I remember, even at, like, 13, feeling determined to do after a year of watching people treat him as an object, was to always treat him like Jesse. Like, I just wanted to be like, you are my brother, and I'm going to talk to you like you're a real human being with real emotions who can... I'm not going to talk to you like a disease. I'm going to talk to you like you. And I think that he responded really well to that.
0: Yeah. That's... Oh, my gosh. That's so timely that you're bringing up that issue um something that they would say and I'll get into this later but something that they would say in treatment all the time which I never understood until I think this past week to to be honest with you is you are not your eating disorder yeah and when you're living it you feel like it is one in the same yeah and being able to separate those two things I think is a key ingredient of your ability to be empathetic and to still see, okay, no, this is my this is my brother, but right. he has this thing. Right. And I'm just so impressed and proud of you that you were able to separate those things at a young age, because there's a lot of people who who can't and, and don't. And un, being able to understand that experience and identify with it and be able to, I don't know, kind of have tolerance and understanding of it, that is an absolutely necessary first step. You have to separate those things. And I'm proud of you and him for being able to to think that way
1: thanks um i mean it will say like you know there were times where i was a total brat there oh, were total. times <laughs> when i was like get out of this house like your disordered things are ruining this family there were so the, there was a lot of unpretty times and i feel the need to give a nod to them and i also think that there's there's a lot of heartbreaking things like you asked like how do you deal with a brother who's near death every day and i think you know one of the biggest heartbreaking things i learned experience was like forcing yourself to let someone you love go like I re- I remember the moment like I remember that I just it was like right toward I think it was junior year of high school and it, at that point had been you know four or five years of the, or I don't know whatever however long it had been of this of being so close to death so often and me just obsessing about it and worrying about it and crying for him and crying for myself and crying for my family and just being so consumed um, with with wanting my brother to live, with wanting him to be in my life, with knowing what a bright, special, amazing talent and he was, and and just feeling crushed that the world would lose that. And um, I had I remember making this decision though one day because I just I could just tell that it was taking me over. I could tell that like I wasn't I wasn't going to be me. Like I was going to lose myself in this, and I had to make a choice. Like I felt myself going underwater. And I, and I wanted, and I wanted with everything in me to just hold on to him and sync with him. Like I wanted that, like that felt like the right thing to do. Like that felt in a non-romantic way, like, okay, spoiler alert, I'm about to say something about the notebook, but it's not like the end of the notebook when they die together, right? It's like, that's how it should be. We should go together. And like, that's how I felt towards my brother. It's like, we should go, like, if you're going to go, I'm going to go with you. Cause that's how much I love you. And I remember be, deciding like, no, Susan, you are going to survive, and you are going to fight for that survival. And the only way to do that is to let him go and to accept that he's already dead and that there's nothing you can do. And you have to just tell yourself he's dead. And I remember repeating it as a mantra to myself for weeks, like, just, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. You can't obsess over it because he's gone. And I remember, I remember thinking, too, I remember thinking... I had, you know, friends who had lost people, or there was movies, like, A Walk to Remember, I don't know, there was movies where people had died, and I remember thinking how lucky they were that it happened in a year, or how lucky they were that, you know, they had three months to live, and then that person died, because watching it for years on end was was unbearable. And, yeah. And it was, and, 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 and I think, but, I think I always feel guilty still. Like, I still feel sometimes like I should have gone down, like I should... Like, now I know that about myself. Like, now I know that I have a breaking point and and it made me feel selfish. Like, now I know that I'll let you drown. And that's, I wanted to believe my love was this great, shiny thing that I would die over. I don't know, it was hard.
0: Something really key about eating disorders, which is a, a big reason why I'm wanting us to talk about it, is that a huge part about being in recovery from one and being a sibling of someone who's going through it Is being able to accept and digest the excruciating reality that is, I do not have control over this thing. And I can just really identify with that um, in trying to, I just have hundreds of memories trying to explain to my dad why him talking about food was triggering for me and why I, I couldn't handle it. And I kept thinking, maybe if I, ex- it reminds me a lot of what you said about Jesse with my, I I was hoping that I could heal or something about yeah. me could fix this. And a lot about basically everything that's involved in eating disorder recovery is having to accept that I cannot fix this right. as much as I want to. And as much as my entire body is just aching to fix this and heal this, I cannot. yeah And I feel like being the sibling of someone with an eating disorder is its own process of recovery. So, I think you're in that, and I hope I don't offend you in saying that. But I think that's really, I think you're allowed to say that. You're in your own form of recovery too.
1: And I and I think that's I think you're right because it's something that you know persisted through me and, and something that I hit a lot of different phases in life, like we've talked about before, like when I first went abroad uh, junior year. I didn't, I'd never managed money before, and, and the first time that I spent a lot in the wrong places, like, who knew eating out was so expensive? I had to make that up, and my way of making that up was I just bought a bag of toast and a jar of jelly and ate toast, like, jelly toast, like, three times a day for, like, a week, which, now understanding nutrition, I know that that meant that I was just eating sugar with sugar three times a week, which burns out of your body immediately, and I just remember being starving that entire time, and then any time I got near food, I had four friends... Um, who we all would kind of, like, cook dinner together, six-in-the-city style, and would switch off who was eating or who was cooking it. I would, like, gorge during those sessions because I was so hungry. And I I gained a bunch of weight. I gained a bunch of weight while I was abroad, which lasted with me through senior year of college and also taught me a lot of... I just learned a lot of bad habits in that time. Like, I learned to... I didn't know that, like, when I would come home and I would be starving for my jelly toast diet that, like, that then, like, you know, that it was a terrible idea to eat the three things of yogurt I had in the fridge at midnight. Because I was like, I can't take how hungry I am anymore. Like, I didn't realize that I was setting myself up for that nighttime failure every night. Yeah. And I got into these habits, but I also thought that I was doing, I don't know, I, I thought that I was like, oh, but I'm eating these right things. And I'm eating three meals a day, which is what I'm supposed to do, and I'm, I don't know.
0: Anyway, so... I have a question for you about food. Yeah. So clearly food is a very common thing that we use to deal with things.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, The expression, eating our feelings. Um, I personally loathe it, but (laughs) will use it myself too because it's perfect. It's a perfect descriptor. (laughs) So what is your relationship with food like right now? And how do you, what role does food play in your life?
1: I think that's a really good point. Um, and, and I think I, we had talked about also, like, there was... Like, there's definitely just been times, like, the worst time for me when I got back from junior senior year of college, I developed migraines for the first time, and they took over five to seven days a week, eight hours a day, I was just living or passing out from a migraine. It was oh, a literal... It was over, more than a full-time job. Wow. Um, part of the reason it was so bad was I refused to go on everyday medication, like, preventative. I wanted to be on just... Um, take it when I need it which was a terrible idea there was like multiple times I remember my friend Abby had to like take me out of like our honors psych whatever class because I was just literally feeling my face and I had sunglasses on I was just like rubbing my hands down my face and then I was like raising my hand when no question had been asked <laughs> <laughs> and like because like I just taken Is this... she
0: drunk? <laughs> yes, yes
1: kind of. <laughs> Right, right, yeah, exactly, like, and the professor, luckily that happened to be a small class when that happened, and she just dragged me out of class, and I would just, like, slump to the floor, but anyway, I learned in that time, in that year, that, like, I'd always used food as a reward, and my parents had always used it as something that, that was like, here, eat this, or here, you did something good, or here, you got an A, and, and, and again, I, you know, I don't know, there's a lot of reasons for all of that, but, um, and that year, I was like, okay, you deserve a reward. Have a reward. You deserve a reward. Have this cupcake. Drink soda all night to get through this paper because I know that you've been in pain for 10 hours, but I'm going to let you drink soda to get this paper done because you deserve something. And I think, I think a strong year of that just built in so many terrible habits because it was happening every day. Every day I needed a reward because every day I was in terrible crippling pain. So my relationship with food... So I guess that's me continuing to give a little backstory, but my relationship with food today is... I've had a lot of weird experiences and I think I've learned to eat at a lot of times when I'm not hungry. I've learned to eat to please. I've learned to eat as reward. I've learned to eat to soothe. And I've also learned to eat because I'm hungry. But that's one of maybe six reasons I've learned that food or drink is appropriate.
0: I have a question. Yeah. Along those lines. Um, so something that I didn't even think about in my preparation for today, but your response has is making me think of this. Um, Something that I am still trying to relearn and it takes forever and it's such a simple concept yet your body (laughs) takes time to reprogram is so when you have a kind of unhealthy relationship with food which a lot of people do you learn to ignore or suppress or just kill off your hunger cues and so when you were saying you also eat when you're hungry just a thought I had was (laughs) Oh, wow. That's, that must be functional and awesome. <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, did you ever lose that? Or is that something that you had to work hard to regain? Yeah.
1: So I would say the, you know, the, the, the end to my chapter here is that today it's still a struggle. Like it's, it's much better. I think The biggest things that have changed are number one my own education and nutrition which is maybe a whole nother podcast right but me now understanding like what types of things like fat is good is not bad and it keeps you hungry for longer so like have some nuts like maybe that's what i should have been eating in paris instead of this like toast with jelly um you know or have some peanut butter i should have been putting peanut butter on that goddamn toast (laughs) Um, so one, one thing that's changed is my understanding of, of nutrition and another that has changed is my, you know, f- figuring out my own exercise habits and what works for me. There were, definitely came a moment when I had to like stand up to my parents and be like, I'm exercising. Like I belong to a gym and you're going to let me belong to a gym and I'm not going to feel bad about it anymore. But I had to get to that point. Like I had to get to a point where I became okay with it so that I could be like, stop looking at me every time I tell you I'm going to go to like, stop.
0: They have to let you go, in right. a way, of, right. and trust that you can take care of yourself and make those decisions.
1: Right, because I wasn't, and I wasn't because I was trying to keep the peace. I wasn't because I, like, I didn't want to be another thing for them to worry about, because the two of them deserved deserved a little slack, and, and I felt like I, I was one way to give it to them. Yeah. But that wasn't really appropriate for me. You
0: kind of took that on, even yeah. though they didn't, like, ask you to.
1: Right, and they wouldn't have. They want right. me to be happy, like, they're cool people. But, like, anyway... So, long story short, I think those those habits got were really ingrained. Those habits are really in there, and it's definitely something I still struggle with. Uh, but I think that the difference is that, especially in the last couple of years, like, I would say two years especially, but even when I moved here, um, which was, I'm going into my fourth year, fifth year living here. So I've been here for four years in California. I remember the when I came here, it felt like everything else has been... Everything else melts away and I get to start my own habits with nobody looking over my shoulder. And so from day one that I moved here, I chose like two habits to work on a semester. And that I would start at the very beginning so that they would stay with me. So it would be like two subtle changes a semester that I thought were like healthier or good or just even mindful. Like it didn't have to be like no soda or something like that. It could be, you know, you're going to go for a walk like out in nature with no headphones once a week. Like that's your thing that you're going to do Yeah. And you're going to do it consistently, and you're going to do what you say you're going to do so that you want to trust yourself in these habits. So I would say that's still happening today. I would say that I've continued to kind of pick a couple of things at a a natural moment of transition, because I always find it's much easier to put new habits in at natural times of transition. And then I would say that there's a lot of habits to break and, and a lot of small steps in each of those habits, you know, like not eating emotionally isn't something I could fix in a semester. That's something that has to be broken down into a lot of smaller categories. Each one, you know, me taking step by step and time by time. So we're still there. I think it's a lot better, but I also think that there's a lot of, long way to go.
0: Last question is, you said earlier that something about eating disorders as a spectrum or you being yeah. on the spectrum. Yeah. And I want to know what that means.
1: So in my opinion, like, again, if Jesse hadn't gone first, by which if he hadn't been, gone into a disordered eating land and been diagnosed, like, I wouldn't have been surprised if it had been me. If he had somehow escaped that, I wouldn't have been surprised if it had been me. Um, because I think that we have a lot of the same patterns and habits, and I think in part that's genetics. Again, I think genetics is a big part, but in part it's just it's also culture, it's society. Like, There's a lot of things that go into this, but I I, I feel it in myself. Like, I have seen myself the, I think the only thing that has stopped me, and, and not stopped me from being disordered, but stopped me from being diagnosably disordered, yeah. is that I know that yep. he paved the way and gave me that knowledge so that I was able to have more self-awareness of it so that when I would start going down an eating disordered path, I'd be able to say, wait, hold on, you know that for Jesse this was not something that he like woke up and decided not to eat. It was something that over years slowly snowballed in, into this he had gone down the rabbit hole, and once you're down the rabbit hole, like, good luck. Like, we spent, you know, like, spent so much time trying to pull him, and and him, which ended up being, of course, the most important thing, has to be the one to finally lift himself that last, you know, lift himself out. So yeah, I, so I, I think that it's a spectrum. I think a lot of us use food for purposes other than what it's meant for. And I don't think that's always terrible. I think a celebratory, you know, drink when you're out with people or like a, a birthday cookie aren't terrible ways of using food. It's just something to be aware of. It shouldn't be, shouldn't be your main source of nutrition. Like your main source of nutrition be based on eating in these emotional habits and, and also that you know for me it's like understanding that like i have a really slow metabolism and i don't get hungry but like if i don't eat until five and then eat my entire day's meal from five to eight like that's not good for me and i need to learn how to um deal with that because it's easier to let myself be in that pattern and it's easier to let myself you know when i'm exhausted and it's the end of the day like maybe just like drink and drink and drink or eat, and eat, and eat. it's easy to drown or numb yourself in those things and i've seen myself go that way a million I've definitely binged like a million times and sometimes, and it's and it's way past the point of being hung. You're numb, and you're just like stuffing the food in your face because you're just like I. For me, I think it's almost always like I need a break. I deserve something, and I need some sort of external reinforcer. And no one is here to hug me. No one is here to tell me it's okay. And I'm struggling to self soothe So you know what's gonna you know what's gonna feel great is sugar rushing through my body. So you know what I'm gonna do? Eat sugar for five hours. I'm gonna slowly eat this like bag of candy for five hours right now until I feel better.
0: Yeah. Do you feel better?
1: Yeah, temporarily. And then I wake right. up in the morning and I'm like, oh God, this feels terrible. Why is there so much sugar it's in my system and I'm so bloated? a binge hangover. Right. And like why is like now I crave, like it becomes a bad cycle where it's like, oh, I don't want to eat anything. Then you don't eat. And then you don't eat. And then you're like, oh, I'm so starving. Let's have this pizza. Oh, you know what? Suddenly I really want some candy.
0: Man, eating disorders are a hell right? of a disease. <laughs> If I oh. this is going to sound really effed up, but if I were to invent a genius disease, um, or maybe this is the nature of any addiction, it loops you into a cycle, right? And then you get stuck there, and it's yeah. so easy to
1: get stuck. Exactly, there. and I think that's the biggest thing. I have hit those cycles many times, but Got the it. only reason I think I haven't been stuck there is because once I've seen it, like if I see a habit that's lasted like you know a week, two weeks, a month, I there's usually a point where I think to myself like, crap. Like, do you need help? Because you need to ask for help if you need it. And that's usually the thing that scares me straight to being like, is this, like, are you fish like, have you hit a bad cycle? Because break yourself out or like, you don't let yourself fall down. Um, So I know that there's a lot, and I think that both of us could probably talk for about eight hours. uh, That was an understatement. For 800 hours on each of these experiences. Which is why I think we also encourage people. Like, if you have questions, or if there's anything I've said that maybe resonates with you, or that you have a question for me about, I don't mind personal questions, (laughs) obviously. Or that you maybe, and even anonymously, if you just want to ask for a friend. Like, my friend has this eating issue. or I mean, we're not going to diagnose anyone, but that makes you... If there's something that resonates and you want to ask more or you want us to talk about it more, like comment, tell us, or secretly email me, or our email is in the contact page. Don't feel shy about wanting to follow up with anything we talk about.
0: Because I think you touched on this earlier, Susan, but once you actually start talking about these things, you realize that either the issue itself or something like it is way more common right. than we thought. Right. Every family has their shit. Every yep. person has their dark side. <laughs> I think it's
1: weird when they don't. I'm like, I'm sorry, nothing happened to you as a child? <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, hang around with me for a little while. Yeah. Um, this actually resonates with a lot of people. So I want to echo what Susan is saying. If we've struck a sensitive chord, it doesn't even have to be about eating disorders. It can be about addiction in general. Get in touch with us. I'm really yeah. glad you said that. Yeah.
1: Good job. I touch-